Welcome to another episode of the Buckets Mentality Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Seeky. Use code Bucket Center for $20 off your first purchase. This episode is going to be everything trade deadline, everything from Clint Capella to Andrew Wiggins to D'Angelo Russell, Robert Covington, Andre Iguodala, Andre Drummond, Marcus Morris, the Lakers not doing anything. We'll look at the landscape of the league after the trade deadline and some of these moves that these teams made. We're going to start with Clint Capella. And he was traded, obviously, to the Atlanta Hawks. And he's going to be paired with Trey Young. This is a defensive presence. It's a low-post presence that could basically dunk the ball. He's a power finisher around the basket. He's not really a guy that's going to post up. You're not going to run plays necessarily for Clint Capella, but he's going to be active on both sides of the ball. He's going to catch lobs, a lot of lobs from Trey Young. He's just going to make Trey Young's life a lot easier in Atlanta. That's your franchise player. And having a guy like Clint Capella to take some of that pressure off of Troy Young is going to be huge for the Atlanta Hawks, especially a team that's at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Hasn't been winning very many games. Yes, John Collins has missed a lot of time due to suspension. Uh, but once this group really gets together, once these young wings and DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish really emerge, they're going to have that interior presence. They're going to have Trey Young. Uh, and Kevin Herter in the backcourt. And this is going to be a really, really good Atlanta Hawks team. Great move by the Hawks. And they didn't really have to give up too much to acquire Clay Capella. They also got Dwayne Dedman to come off the bench. He's a guy that can space the floor a little bit more from the center position, but they reacquired uh, Dwayne Dedman, who they obviously had on the Hawks last year. Uh, but he went to the Sacramento Kings in the offseason. He's got his money. Uh, but it didn't really work out with the Kings, and now he's back with the Atlanta Hawks. So that's a big move. I think the Hawks were definitely big winners at the trading deadline, even though they're not going to win very many games this season, and they're headed towards another lottery pick and, and really trying to make the playoff push that they are supposed to be making this year next year uh, because obviously a lot of things thwarted that. But Trey Young's having a fantastic season. He can continue to do so, and Clint Capella will lead to a couple more wins as we get to the second half of the season. And again, like I said before, the big return is going to be felt in the future once these guys begin to fully develop. Um, defensively, this is a pretty poor Atlanta Hawks team, and Clay Capella is definitely going to help a lot in that regard. Moving on to another team uh, that was a part of this transaction, the Houston Rockets, and I got a lot to say about the Rockets. Robert Covington going to Houston, and yes, he can space the floor. Yes, he's elite when it comes to perimeter defense, but they're going to have a lack of size and an interior presence like we just talked about. Quinn Capella, that interior presence is now a part of the Atlanta Hawks organization. And now the Rockets, who missed out on Tristan Thompson and some of these other guys, but it seemed like Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni really wanted to go small. They wanted to put P.J. Tucker at the five. And a lot of people talk about their record when they go small, their small ball lineup being effective in the regular season. Yeah, it can work in the regular season, but when it comes down to the playoffs, when it comes down to a best of seven series, is this going to be able to be effective? P.J. Tucker is six foot five. Is he going to be able to handle the likes of Nikola Jokic and Anthony Davis even Rudy Gobert, to a lesser extent, he's not as much of an offensive force, but he's still going to be demanding the basketball in the interior. He's still going to be able to finish with ease at seven foot one. So, yes, you also have to come out to the perimeter to guard the Houston Rockets because they're going to be basically spread five out. But in a best out of seven series, is P.J. Tucker going to be able to handle that amount of wear and tear at the five spot? Is he going to be able to shoot the three at the clip that he's been shooting in the regular season? with all that additional wear and tear, having to guard centers on a night-in, night-out basis. How many fouls is P.J. Tucker going to accumulate over the course of a seven-game series? Uh, and, and what are they going to do when P.J. Tucker can't play 
hefty minutes because of foul trouble, because he's bruised and banged up. Uh, I just don't know how successful this is going to be for the Houston Rockets, and it's really going to require James Harden and Russell Westbrook being two of the greatest offensive weapons we have ever seen and being efficient in doing so. When we talk about small ball lineups in the past, the one lineup everyone wants to bring up, it was actually two lineups, but they're both by the Golden State Warriors. It's the Hamptons five, and then it's the before the Hamptons five, their small ball lineup where they had Draymond at the five, Andre Iguodala, Harrison Barnes, Klay Thompson, and Steph Curry. And the thing with that, and even the Hamptons five, when you had Steph Curry and you replaced Harrison Barnes, with Kevin Durant, you had two of the greatest offensive weapons of all time with that Hamptons lineup, two top five, okay? And these guys are both extremely efficient. Katie's one of the most efficient scores, if not the most efficient score the game has ever seen from a guy that can do it at seven feet tall from the perimeter. And obviously, James Harden, nor Russell Westbrook, nor anyone on their roster that's going to be playing significant minutes is seven feet tall. So that's another advantage that the Golden State Warriors had. But even back before you had Kevin Durant, you had Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, the greatest shooting backcourt of all time. Those guys are both extremely efficient. And Steph Curry is arguably the greatest, most efficient centerpiece of an offense the game has ever seen with his ability to hit the three, to get to the basket. He can shoot mid-ranges when he needs to. He can also play off the ball. And they had a system of ball and player movement But more importantly, they also had elite perimeter defenders and multiple of them, not just Robert Covington and P.J. Tucker that the Houston Rockets have, and Daniel House can defend a little bit too. But they had Andre Iguodala. They had a defensive player of the year caliber player in Draymond Green. They had Klay Thompson, an all-NBA level defender on the wing that could guard the opposing point guard so Steph Curry would not have to do that. They also had the ability to go big when you talk about Andrew Bogut before. And then when you talk about guys like JaVale McGee, Kevon Looney, Zaza Pachulia, they had size. They didn't just go completely small and have a six foot five center. They had the ability to go big when they needed to, to go small when they needed to. You can't just go small for a 48 minute game in the NBA playoffs and expect to win four to seven games that way. So I, I like the the concept of going small ball, but I just don't think it's going to be effective with the Houston Rockets when you're going completely, you're, you're just breaking the limits. You're going way too far. And D'Antoni and Daryl Morey have always wanted to test the limits. They've always tried to go to the extreme. That's why they shoot so many threes. They're all about advanced analytics. And at the end of the day, the, the stats are cool, but you actually have to know the game and how it's going to be implemented on a basketball court in the best out of seven series. And you also have to be able to trust Russell Westbrook and James Harden to deliver in the playoffs. And yes, Russell Westbrook is having a great stretch where he's been very efficient. He's been playing very well, but that's come at the sacrifice of James Harden, who's really struggled from the field. He really has been inefficient and he hasn't been good. And it hasn't been one point of the season where you've said for a five to 10 game stretch that James Harden and Russell Westbrook have both been dominant. They've both been hooping. They've both been efficient. And in the playoffs, the only way this style of play is going to work is for them both to be hooping. And we're talking about regular season Harden and Westbrook, who are far superior than playoff Russ and playoff Harden. I just don't see this working. Um, They can win a couple games this way. I don't think they can win more than a series at most with this style of play. But again, a lot of Playoffs comes down to matchups and things like that, but I just don't see this being successful. I think a team that already really wasn't a true contender is even less of a true contender. Um, 
but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, the concept is very interesting. I'm definitely going to be even more glued into Houston Rockets games, but I just don't think it's going to be a winning formula. I don't think you can win a championship with a six foot five center. And yes, guys like Charles Barkley before they said you can't win shooting all the threes at the Golden State Warriors did back in the day. So there are game changers. There are pioneers that really just completely flipped the landscape of the NBA on their head. Uh, I just don't think James Harden can do that in the playoffs. And, and I don't think Russell Westbrook will do that in the playoffs. I don't think Mike D'Antoni, who's stubborn and doesn't make the adjustments necessary. I just think Steve Kerr and Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, the basketball IQ, I just trusted those guys so much more than I trust what's going on over there in Houston. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But speaking of that culture, speaking of Golden State, the high basketball IQ, let's talk about Andrew Wiggins. And Andrew Wiggins of Golden State, I mean, if anyone can shift Andrew Wiggins and turn him into an impact player on a contending team, it is Stephen Curry. It's the Golden State Warriors. And I'm saying a 20-point-per-game season with defensive activity and unselfishness is better than anything I've seen from Andrew Wiggins because Andrew Wiggins is a shot chucker. Let's be real. He takes a lot of shots. He's not very efficient from the field. He can't shoot the three at a high clip. He doesn't defend. The ball sticks with Andrew Wiggins. There's a lot of stigmas about Andrew Wiggins that are just accurate at this point in time. He's a good basketball player. He's got a lot of talent. He's got untapped potential. He's athletic. But the way he's been playing so far in Minnesota is just not going to be successful in a championship level team. But the Warriors see the talent. They also saw the other assets they could get with the draft picks and things like that, which can, which can help them figure out the rest of their roster, add more depth to their core. But basically, Andrew Wiggins comes in a Harrison Barnes role from that 2015-2016 Golden State Warriors. And he's probably going to be a little bit more dynamic. And he's not going to spot up as much. But... He's still going to have the ability to play that kind of role and not be the main star, not be asked to go out and get 25 on a given night, not asked to have the entire offense run through him. Steph is going to be running the show. And Draymond Green can also handle the basketball too. So Andrew Wiggins is just going to come out there and need to take smart shots. And with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, you're going to get much better shots. Those are two of the greatest shooters of all time. Okay, and defensively, he's got Draymond Green and Klay Thompson to back him up. So we should be able to be better in the defensive department. Like, we'll be real. Minnesota did not have a lot of talent on their roster. They had Carl Anthony Towns. Robert Covington's a solid player. They, they, they did not have the level of talent that the Golden State Warriors have. And they just have the perfect environment for Andrew Wiggins to come in and thrive. But it's going to be up to Andrew Wiggins and his work ethic and him buying into this system to win in order for that to be the case. Because Andrew Wiggins got his max money. He, he, he's fine. He's got his paper. He gets to live in California. There's a lot of distractions about California. I mean, he could be fine and content just being on this team thinking, I'm Andrew Wiggins. I can still score. I know I can get buckets, and, and the Golden State Warriors are cool, and they got Steph and Clay, whatever, but I'm going to still continue to be me and get my paper. He could be like that, or he could buy into a championship culture. Or Steph Curry can elevate his level of play. Or Draymond Green can help him be more active defensively. And he can really turn out to be a key contributor on a championship squad. And the Golden State Warriors would have the talent if Andrew Wiggins is able to buy in. They can get those role players. They would have the talent to compete for championships. Honestly, if you take Andrew Wiggins out of the equation, you just add depth. The Golden State Warriors will still be able to contend for championships with three all-star caliber players. But it's going to come up to Draymond Green 
uh, not really regressing the way he's he hasn't looked as good this year. But obviously, you look better when you're a role player like that. He's an all star level role player, but he is still playing a role player type role. You're going to look better when you have better players around you. When Steph and Clay come back, assuming Clay is fine off that ACL uh, and they get the depth right, they're going to be a very, very scary team. Looking at it from Minnesota side of things, D'Angelo Russell going to Minnesota, along with guys like Malik Beasley, Juan Erdo Gomez, and other quality role players, it's basically D'Lo and Cat who are the two-star players, and that's an elite offensive tandem. I mean, D'Lo and Cat can combine for 50-plus points a game. I mean, that's how crazy these guys are. The number one and number two pick, respectively, in their draft class. D'Lo is a player I've always been super high on. He can play make. And I really said I thought the Golden State Warriors could maybe entertain keeping him and trying to see what the Steph, D'Lo, Clay lineup would have looked like. I would have at least just liked to see that, uh, just an experiment. But obviously they went separate ways, and, and they really got a good haul for him. When it talks about Andrew Wiggins, who's a solid player, but more particularly the draft picks that they got, the draft compensation that they got for D'Angelo Russell. They also moved on from Amari Spellman. Uh, and Jacob Evans. So those will be decent players. Jacob Evans probably not going to do too much, but maybe Amari Spellman could. Um, but defensively, man, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns are horrendous. Okay. They cannot guard anybody. And Carl Anthony Towns has the athleticism. He has the tools to be a solid defender, but it just has not been there this season. Minnesota has been terrible defensively. They haven't won a game in a very, very long time. Okay, and the Minnesota Timberwolves got to get right, and D'Lo will sell more tickets, and they'll be fun together as a backcourt offensively. But in order for this team to make the playoffs or do anything, they're going to have to start playing some damn defense. And until that happens, Minnesota's just going to be a, a cool little team out there uh, with two dynamic, great talents, but they're not going to win anything until they start playing defense. Okay. Uh, so Golden State is obviously the better situation, right? And the biggest winner of this transaction is Andrew Wiggins getting out of Minnesota and being able to be in a situation where you got Steph Curry, you got greatness all around you, you still got your bread. Um, so yeah, I'd say the biggest winner of this transaction is is Andrew Wiggins for sure. D'Lo gets to be with his friend, a really good friend of his, in Carl Anthony Towns. Um, but I don't know how much winning that duo is gonna do. Um, Speaking of guys, individuals that got big W's, let's talk about Andre Iguodala, okay? Andre Iguodala sat out the entire season uh, up to this point. He did not want to play in Memphis. He did not want to risk being injured or wear and tear on his body playing for a team like Memphis, who at best is a borderline fringe playoff team, okay? He wants to contend for championships. He wants to be in a winning situation, and not only did he get that, he also gets to live in Miami now, and he also got a contract extension of $15 million a season. I mean, people were criticizing Andre Iguodala like he was some bad guy for being a smart businessman, for taking his career into his own hands. And that's exactly what he did, and it turned out to be a big W for Iguodala, who gets to play with Jay Crowder again um, in Miami. He gets to play with Jimmy Butler and some hard-nosed, gritty grinders and gets to be on a contending team with Eric Spolster, who's a great head coach. They've got great depth, and that's going to be a contending team in the Eastern Conference. Okay, and my biggest concern with Miami was that I felt like they didn't have enough playoff experience. You're relying on guys like Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, who haven't really been there for big-time playoff moments. They haven't had this big of a role in such a high-stake game, right, in a high-stake series. 
Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder, these guys have been in the trenches. They know what it takes. Jimmy Butler obviously knows what it takes, but some of these other guys, Kendrick Nunn as well, just did not know what it takes. And now they're going to bring that presence, that locker room presence, that grit and grind, that toughness to Miami. Spolster's obviously been there. And those guys can really help the mindset of these young players so they can come out and produce at a high level in these high leverage moments. So I thought this was a great transaction for the Miami Heat. Uh, obviously, Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder are not in their prime. Obviously, they are on decline. And we don't know what Andre Iguodala is going to look like because he hasn't played this entire season. But still, even just their mere locker room presence and the depth that they could provide, they could come in and have a big impact in a game and turn a series around. And these are bodies you can throw at elite offensive players, wing players, and even try to throw at Giannis Antetokounmpo. I don't know how successful you'll be at it, but at least they're guys you can throw at Giannis Antetokounmpo, the guys that are experienced. And Justice Winslow, I mean, the dude can't stay healthy. He was not playing for the Miami. He, he wasn't really helping them too much. Deion Waiters obviously had some issues. James Johnson came to Miami out of shape. They shipped out some big contracts and guys that weren't really producing for them. And they got guys that can contribute. They did not sacrifice any of their key rotational pieces. Okay, so this is a great move for the Miami Heat all around, in my opinion. I think it definitely makes them a stronger contender in the Eastern Conference. But I will say the Miami Heat are still lacking a pretty big thing when we talk about another big man. And against Giannis Antetokounmpo in a best out of seven series, you have to have multiple interior presences. I love Bam. Bam's an all-star. He's great. But other than that, their rebounding just hasn't been the greatest Guys like Myers Leonard, he's a good floor spacer and he can be solid. Uh, Kelly Olynyk is just not it. Okay, they needed another big, and, and I mean, there's still a chance with the buyout market. There's still players that are coming and going on various teams, but they do need to add a piece in the buyout market. Hopefully, another big man, a rebounder uh, that can help this group out. But other than that, it's a really formidable team in the Eastern Conference. But we look at what Milwaukee did, and I know this wasn't a trade or anything like that, but they were able to sign in the buyout market, Marvin Williams. And Marvin Williams is a guy that can defend. He can shoot the three. He's another perfect piece for that Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis Antetokounmpo driving kick system. Man, and the way Chris Middleton's playing, Eric Bledsoe's playing well, but we always got to see it with Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs. But the Milwaukee Bucks, man, they are looking like something special. And the Miami Heat, in order to match that, and any team in the Eastern Conference for that matter, uh, matter, excuse me, to match the Milwaukee Bucks, they've got to make sure that they have their full roster set. And really the hole for the Miami Heat at this point in time is another big man. Um, we already touched on the Wiggins, D'Angelo, Russell transactions, some of these other transactions. We'll talk about Morris to LAC, okay? This man, probably the biggest win, the biggest W, in my opinion, of the trading deadline was Marcus Morris going to the dang Clippers. And they only gave up Mo Harkless and a first round pick, which is basically going to be an early second round pick with how good the Los Angeles Clippers are, even with their lowered management and everything else. And they got a couple pick swaps too, but it's an absolute steal for the Clippers. I mean, Mo Harkless is a good defender. He's a good starting caliber. Like he, they were throwing him in as a starting power forward because they have guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Okay, and Pat Bev and Zubats, and they have Lou Will and Trez coming off the bench. But you adding a 19-point-per-game score in Marcus Morris, I know those numbers are not really 
that impressive for some of y'all because he's on the New York Knicks and who else is going to score the damn ball for the New York Knicks. But he was doing this in Boston too. He was putting up these big time numbers. He's been in the trenches. He's played in big playoff games, big moments. He's guarded LeBron James. He knows what it takes to win in the playoffs and he's going to be a key impact player. He's going to move into that starting power forward spot He's going to be a big contributor defensively and shooting the three. He's been a 40-plus percent three-point shooter this year. So the Clippers, the rich get richer, okay? Like I just talked about the Bucks adding Marvin Williams. The Clippers adding Marcus Morris is like, good Lord. How, how much better are the Clippers even going to be? They're already the best roster to me on paper, and they just got even better. So another big W for the Clippers, uh, the Knicks being the damn New York Knicks. I know they got a first round pick technically, but it's basically an early second pick swaps. Okay. Mo Harkless may or may not be on the roster long term. I highly doubt he would. This is another L for the New York Knicks and they take L's all the damn time, bro. And it's just so sad to see it affect LeBron James, the Los Angeles Lakers. That's my squad right there. That's my favorite player. But the Knicks being dumb really affected <laughs> affected them, which is unfortunate. But it is what it is. I mean, at least you didn't get bamboozled and get absolutely nothing from Marcus Morris. They got something of value, but I think they could have got more for sure. Um, but speaking of my Los Angeles Lakers, speaking of LeBron James, the Lakers didn't do anything at the trade deadline. We'll see about the buyout market. But it was pretty clear that, to me, at least, that the Lakers really weren't going to make a significant move. They couldn't make a move. Because between the contracts and their length and the salary, the no trade clauses and the chemistry that they had built in the first half of the season, it was just very hard to see a way that the Lakers made a trade. People were talking about Derrick Rose. People were talking about Marcus Morris for the Lakers. People were talking about a lot of different guys that come in and help this basketball team, but their salaries are too high. Okay. And there's just no way to make them come to the Lakers without sending multiple players or sending a guy like Danny Green. And you really wouldn't make your team that much better if you're sacrificing both Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green. Kyle Kuzma's salary is so cheap. He's on his rookie contract. We, we couldn't get anyone that would improve our basketball roster without trading salary attached to it, which would be like multiple players, Avery Bradley, a couple other rotation pieces. Like It's just not going to happen. And then guys like KCP, he's been hooping. I wouldn't even want to move him, but he has no trade clause. Rondo has a no-trade clause. JaVale McGee has a no-trade clause, which is some things I don't think a lot of people take into consideration when they're looking at trade deadline, when they're looking at these things, these cap situations, the are we going to be able to, to get this guy to waive his no-trade clause uh, to go to another team? And in a lot of those cases, no, you don't want to waive a chance to compete for a championship of being on Los Angeles, playing for the Los Angeles Lakers, Okay with LeBron James and company, with Anthony Davis. So it was going to be hard to really do much of anything. The chemistry has also been great, a lot better than it was last year. All these guys are buying in. They're obviously close off the court and on the court. So it was really hard for the Lakers to do much of anything. I would say look out for Darren Collison in the buyout market. He would be huge for them. Another ball handler, a guy that can shoot and space the floor and would help in those non-LeBron James lineups. And he can play alongside LeBron James too. The guy hasn't played basketball, so like Iguodala, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how much he can contribute right away. But he is 32. He's not as old as 36-year-old Andre Iguodala. So we'll see. That could be definitely a huge impact move for the Los Angeles Lakers, but they didn't make anything up to this point. 
Um, last trade I really wanted to talk about was Andre Drummond. I mean, really caught me out of left field. And it's the last one we're talking about because it's probably the least important, even though Andre Drummond is one of the best players that were on the market. He went to damn Cleveland. Okay. And the reason he went to Cleveland is because Detroit wasn't willing to pay him max dollars or even super max dollars. And I wouldn't either. I don't think you pay a big man that's really not versatile in terms of he can't shoot, he can't space the floor, he can't really put it on the deck. I mean, a little bit he can handle, but like he's not really a threat offensively unless you're talking about posting up, unless you're talking about power finishing, and it's not the damn 2000s anymore. We're in 2020, and he can't shoot. Uh, and defensively, he's overrated, okay? He can get steals and blocks. He can get rebounds. He's the best rebounder of the decade, but he's just you got to slow the game down for Andre Drummond and you got to really feature him a lot in the offense and a contending team is not going to feature Andre Drummond in that way without having elite perimeter players and yes they've drafted guards in multiple drafts when you talk about Colin Sexton and Darius Garland and we'll see about that we'll see about Kevin Love and they can make it an interesting borderline playoff team because it is the Eastern Conference but you're not going to win a championship to me if Andre Drummond's one of your two best players Okay, and obviously Detroit saw that they couldn't get it to work. Obviously, they were injured and other things. They just could not get that duo in the front court to work. Drummond wasn't too happy about it, but we'll see how he is in a new environment in Cleveland, if it's just a half-year rental or if they're going to keep him for the long haul. But I really didn't think it was too much. Cleveland didn't really give up anything for him. They gave him like a second-round pick, Brandon Knight, and some stuff. So it's like it didn't really affect them too much in terms of they didn't lose anything. Uh, so, but it could be a little bit of a dub for Cleveland. Detroit, I mean, I feel, I figure they could have got more for Drummond. Not that much more because he is on an expiring contract and a lot of teams don't want to pay him, but they really didn't get anything. Good Lord. Um, so that was interesting. But overall, I'll say we didn't really see too much change. The three top contenders are still the Los Angeles Clippers, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Those are the three teams that I can see holding up the Larry O'Brien trophy, okay? So <laughs> all these other moves are cool. Uh, we could talk about how they affect the future, how they make things interesting for the league, but really it's those three teams. And Philly was the fourth team I was throwing in there. I said at their ceiling, if they got to their highest potential, they could be in that class, but they just have not. They've been a huge disappointment. And yes, they added Glenn Robinson third and Alec Burks who can help with floor spacing. They can help with creation, uh, off the dribble they're not afraid to shoot and put the ball in the basket more so Alec Burks off the dribble and Glenn Robinson on spot ups um, but that should definitely help um, with Embiid and Simmons but oh man that duo just does not fit together it does not fit together at all Joel Embiid's been very disappointing Ben Simmons is still not taking perimeter shots these other guys Tobias Harris Al Horford uh, Josh Richardson They've been streaky, and they haven't been consistent enough outside shooters to really make things work. They've got all the talent in the world, but the coaching is not there. Brett Brown is probably the worst coach. He is the worst coach of any of the contending teams in the Eastern Conference, so that's definitely going to hinder them. Uh, he's probably going to get fired at some point, but they're going to have to split Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and fully commit to building around one of them at some point in time. It's unfortunate to say, but it's just the reality of the situation. Philadelphia could still make some noise. Okay, but I just don't see them coming out of the Eastern Conference. I'm not completely writing them off of being a contending team in there with Toronto and Boston and some of these other teams. 
but I'm just not I'm not even close to thinking they can come out the Eastern Conference. I said the Bucks before the season. I said the Clippers would come out of the West before the season. I still want to see what the Lakers are able to do in the buyout market, but it just nothing they can really get in the buyout market to me makes them a better basketball team than the Clippers. I still think the Clippers and the Bucks are the two best teams like I did before the season. But like I said this entire time, it takes LeBron James and AD to be heroic, to be sensational. And at least with LeBron, we know he's been capable of doing it in the playoffs, 2018, 2016. It reminds me a lot of 2016. Okay, when the 73 and 9 Warriors, the unanimous MVP, were clearly the better basketball team. But LeBron James and Kyrie Irving just went insane. They were heroic and they delivered a championship. And that was really a fairy tale type season. And it kind of feels that way that the Lakers should win the championship this year just based off of like storyline and Washed King and LeBron's coming back with vengeance in year 17. It would just make for such a great story. Kobe Bryant obviously tragically passing away and LeBron doing it saying Kobe this is for you it would just be such a great moment but I have to be real the the Clippers are the better basketball team Uh, and it's just going to take some heroic efforts for LeBron James Anthony Davis again I'm not counting them out and we'll see how these next couple weeks transpire when we get to June maybe it could be something different when it gets time for me to make playoff predictions maybe it could be something different but If we're saying who's the better team, I think everyone for the entire season knows that the Clippers are the better team, despite the Lakers having a little bit of a better record. The Clippers are gaining ground in the standings even with Kawhi being out with load management, with Paul George not being 100%. I'm not saying the Clippers are perfect either. They're far from it. Um, But I think they're the better team than the Los Angeles Lakers. But the three contenders, the three teams that have a legitimate shot at a title are still the Bucks, the Clippers, and the Lakers. Appreciate y'all for tuning in. That's my trade deadline recap. I'm out, y'all. Peace.